Hello there, and welcome to another edition of Keeping It Current. My name's Thomas Ridley, I have bushy ginger hair, I play the electric guitar, I ride the passion wagon, and I pay Jacob Reed a great sum of money for his tip-top, top-notch political analysis. Isn't that right, Jacob? Yes, and I'm Jacob Reed, and I'm going to Oxford in September with all the posh boys. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Thomas. Um, if, if you didn't tell, uh, as much as I might wish otherwise, no, I'm not Thomas. Um, I, I am Jacob, and this is a roles reversal episode of Keeping It Current. So I'm in the hosting chair. Thomas is a political analyst. <laughs> Who knows why he had this decision? I think he's, he's waving once again the white flag of surrender. But let's see how it goes. I am really quite nervous because the last time I let you have some control, you did what would you do, which ended up into about a 20 minute segment. <laughs> Woo, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is the 24 hour Keeping It Current Marathon. <laughs> well, with, with that said, um, it, it's great to be recording this in person again. Thomas yes. and I, we're, we're in my living room. I promise we're sitting a good two metres away. Mm -hmm. um, but how are you? I, I'm okay, thank you, Jacob. Obviously, it's very um, strange times we've been living in. Um, obviously, the last um, last season we were obviously on just Skype all the time, and we had guests coming in and and Boris Johnson coming in, of course. Uh, but it's quite nice to be back in person. Yeah, that, that that real feel, you know, like because if we go back to the early days, you know, the enjoyable Friday afternoons we spent recording. You know, I I remember it well. We both had our free food, seven and eight, and we would. <laughs> Um, find ourselves in one of the unused classrooms in the in the Bernie Block at school. So, um, what have you been up to lately, Thomas? Um, I haven't been up to that much. Well, yesterday we had a trip out to Windermere, so yeah. it was absolutely even no social distancing there at all. So you know, let's just hope they're not from Manchester. <laughs> and uh, also, we uh, have uh, went out for a meal on um, Friday to Warwick Hall just between uh, Wigton and Silf, very nice, I had uh, good fish and chips, and um, yeah, it's been obviously a bit weird, uh, obviously been keeping in touch with friends, um, Jacob and uh, the rest of the gang uh, on Saturday nights doing our quiz, uh, I still haven't won one outright yet, so you know, that's my aim, by the time social distancing ends, which we know, we could even be like about, we could be socially distanced forever, you know, people may be just so scared that they're like, People, people! Yeah, so, uh, it's been okay. It's been okay. It's been okay. Well, glad to hear you are keeping well. And if it's any consolation, you know that I, I haven't won any of the quizzes either. In fact, I think I think second from last is about the best that I've managed. You know? No, you can fifth of my quiz out of eight. Fifth of eight. There we go, yeah. folks. Fifth of eight. And tell us about Tigger. Tell ah, us yes. About Tigger. So, um, yesterday's the I have indeed... Um, Acquired a new kitten, yeah, the family kitten, uh, who is now coming up to six months old. He's a bit of a terror. He's called Tigger. He's very bouncy. You know. Tigger of a terror. Boing, boing, boing. You know. Springs in his tails. No, he's got springs in his back legs, actually. But yes, he's a very, very, uh, very likeable personality around the house. And it's certainly brightened up lockdown, I can tell you that. So, good, good to hear it. Uh, in, in terms of this episode then, Thomas, we have the return of a couple of old favourites. So we've got return of Cor on the Line, Who's That Talking, and Political Snog Mario Boy. Guess who's talking. Uh, guess who's talking. Well, he, he, he can check, he can, but yeah, you know. Six and two, three, six and two. We can cut that out. Um, and we do have some new segments, including Two Truths and a Bit of Fake News, The Smile File, and to start with, The Rapid Rounder. 
we jump into the main news story for this episode, we're going to summarise some of the other things that have been going on in what I like to call the Rapid Rounder. Thomas and I will alternate the stories with Thomas going first and with seven minutes on the clock. Thomas, are you ready? Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, in which case, three, two, one, go. The Parliamentary Intelligence and Security Committee released their report into Russian meddling in the UK's democracy. It, is, it said that the UK was behind only NATO and the US on Russian, Russia's list of targets, but criticised the government for badly underestimating the Russian threat and doing nothing to stop it. It accused them of playing the game of hot potato, with no one taking responsibility. Gordon Carrera, the BBC security correspondent, explained, Many expected the committee to have answered the question of whether there was interference in political events like Brexit. Instead, it says the problem was the government and the spy agencies failed to even look at this question. The report was initially met, meant to have been released before the 2019 general election, but was delayed because of, some claim, political reasons. The Court of Appeals has rules, ruled that Shemima Begum should be allowed to return to the UK to fight the decision to strip her of her British citizenship. The London-born schoolgirl went to Syria in 2015, aged 15, to join ISIS. Last year she was found in a refugee camp asking to return to the UK, but Home Secretary at the time, Sajid Javid, removed her British citizenship. Under international law, a government cannot make anyone stateless. Javid argued that this was not the case because of her Bangladeshi citizenship. But the Bangladeshi government disputes this and says that she is not their problem. Human rights organisation Liberty welcomed the decision, saying that equal access to justice must apply to everyone. And Begum's lawyer said she is not afraid of facing British justice, she welcomes it. However, Javid, now on the backbenches, says he was deeply concerned that it will prove impossible to subsequently remove her. The Labour Party offered an unreserved apology in the High Court to seven former staff members who blew the whistle on problems of anti-Semitism within the party. They also agreed to pay substantial damages. It stems from a BBC Panorama programme from last year, in which the seven staff members claimed that senior figures close to Jeremy Corbyn had interfered in the anti-Semitism complaints procedures. In response, a party spokesperson dismissed them as disaffected former staff who had personal and political access to grind. The apology was widely welcomed, though Corbyn denounced it as a political, not legal decision. Laura Quensberg, BBC's political editor, says that the apology again represents Keir Starmer's commitment to tackling anti-Semitism within the party after he sacked Rebecca Long-Bailey for retweeting an anti-Semitic anti conspiracy theory. However, with the Equality and Human Rights Commission due to report back on the situation in the next few months, and Starmer having publicly backed Corbyn while he was leader, she says the question of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party is far from over. From the end of this year, mobile providers in the UK will be banned from buying 5G equipment from Chinese technology company Huawei, and all Huawei kit will have to be removed by 2027. The U-turn comes after pressure and sanctions from the US and similar decisions from other countries such as Australia. They argue that Huawei constitutes a national security threat because of their relationship with a Chinese government who can, allegedly, demand whatever information they want from the company. However, Oliver Dowden, the digital secretary, said it will cost up to £2 billion and delay the rollout of 5G by two to three years. Huawei called it bad news for anyone in the UK with a mobile phone 
and China's ambassador to the UK said it has become questionable whether the UK can provide an open, fair and non-discriminatory business environment for companies from other countries. Yes, China has finally succeeded in opposing a draconian security law on Hong Kong. Hong Kong was handed back to China from British control in 1997 under a one country, two systems principle <coughs> to protect its democracy and freedom of assembly and speech in a way not found in mainland China. The UK government has argued that the security law violates this agreement. For example, under the law, speaking against China can be considered subversion, which can lead to a lifetime in prison and exclusion from running for public office, which some fear will hamper freedom of speech. The chief executive of Hong Kong will have the power to appoint judges to hear national security cases, which some fear will erode judicial independence. Some trials will be also heard behind closed doors, and the state will be authorised to wiretap anyone suspected of committing a crime. The Chinese government argues that the law is just to restore order. The UK government has offered a route to British citizenship for the almost 3 million British overseas nationals in Hong Kong. But China has told the UK, effectively, to mind its own business. After days of negotiations and gridlock, EU leaders struck a 750 billion euro coronavirus support package. Half comes in the form of grants to member states hardest hit by the pandemic, and the other half comes in low-interest loans available to all countries. Recipient countries will have to submit their plans for spending this money to the European Commission, and a majority of states will be able to block projects. This has interesting implications for the EU's role in contributing to the, to the budgets of member states. The negotiations were the second longest in its history, marked with divisions between the countries badly affected by the virus, like Spain and Italy, and those concerned with borrowing too much money for frugal four, including Denmark and Austria. These were also the first EU negotiations without the UK, of which German Chancellor Angela Merkel said, during the last negotiations, David Cameron's views loomed large. Now he's no longer with us, others have come to the fore. And finally, the heads of Apple, Amazon, Facebook and Google appeared at a congressional hearing in America. Democrats were mainly concerned with questions of competition, whether the companies and monopolies are too big and should be broken up. Republicans were mainly concerned with how they regulate information and whether they marginalise conservative views. This comes after Twitter and Facebook have been more active in tagging fact-check and content warnings to President Trump's tweets, such as one in which he incorrectly claimed that fraud is rife in postal voting. Both sides, though, seem to agree that tougher regulation is needed, though in this regard, the US is behind the EU, which already has the GDPR data laws and has fined Google three times, for example, for pre-installing its search app on Android's phones and automatically making it the default. And stop the clock, we have... Phew! Oh, we, we can breathe, we have 17 seconds left. Oh, I'm forgetting, you know. How, how was that, Thomas? <laughs> Very, um, a bit breathless after that, but you know, I, I think I got the longer bits. <laughs> I mean, and at one point you had a, a frog in your throat. And you yeah, I was like, I should have made one of my face covering. You know? Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, um, we're, we're just going to, um, to recover for a minute, and then we'll move on to a Covid catcher. Coronavirus cases are rising in England for the first time since May. The Office of National Statistics estimate is that there are now 4,200 new infections a week, compared to 3,200 a week ago. As a result, 
Boris Johnson said it was time to squeeze the brake pedal. So the planned reopening of casinos, bowling alleys, skating rinks, indoor performances, wedding receptions of 30 people and facial beauty treatments has been postponed by at least two weeks. Thomas, do you think this was the right decision? Well, Jacob, I, I know that you're on this point for the facial <laughs> beauty treatments. Oh, I have my appointment book. <laughs> If you haven't seen Jacob during the lockdown, he's actually got a little hippie beard. <laughs> yeah, I do not have a <laughs> I have about two days of stubble. Um, right, so I think it was the, probably was the right decision given that spike of cases in um, Manchester, Greater Manchester, uh, Keighley, I think it was, or Kirkley, or something like that, and etc, um, etc. Et Blackburn was another one. And the thing is, it's quite difficult because at the moment Boris Johnson's kind of said, right, the rules are you're only allowed to not move between houses. So it's like, if we were in Ma if me, me and Jacob were living in Manchester right now, we wouldn't be able to do this, would we? But that's the only thing that he's imposed. He hasn't said the pubs are still open, so you can still mix with people there at maybe a shorter distance than in your households and with a lot more different people. And as well as that, the shops are also open. I know, obviously, you wear face coverings, but um, uh, I think, like, capacity in supermarkets is going up to, like, 300 now, when it was a lot smaller during the height of the pandemic. But, yeah, I think it was the right decision to delay the opening of these things, even though it was very... The timing of it was very suspect, because it's like, uh, I think... I saw some people put on Facebook about the beauty treatments. People who work there, they're prepared for their big reopening, the start of August, and... The day before, tell we're not you're not opening, and you think about the financial hit that would have given them because all of you would have been booked in to get their eyebrows done or Jacob to be beard done. But the thing, <laughs> the thing is that it it, it it depends how long it's delayed for. If it's only a week or two, I think they'll be fine. But if it's longer, then it could be a problem in the case that they're probably struggling as it is. I know it's the furthest thing, but you can't. Um, it, now we're into August. And people, uh, businesses are now having to uh, contribute in, to national insurance costs. So I think it was the right decision in terms of cases, but from a business point of view, no, I don't think so because these places will be booked up, booked to the rafters, and they're not, um, they're not uh, because they have to cancel all these appointments. So we've asked all the people, let's met staff members to come in, to come in exactly. and work. They, they were all and they're all ready to get back and then they're, they're only on 80% of their salary so only these people will be really struggling with, mm. without that 20% I mean I think you've got you, you can see how tricky all of these things are so on one hand it's the economy and on the other hand it's health and equally if the, if if, yeah. if if you if you neglect the health then that will lead to another local lockdown, uh, yeah. another lockdown and that will harm the economy. And then equally in terms of timing, you want to do it as soon as the data tells you that you should, but you need to kind of do it in a way that uh, gets gets the message yeah. out of there. So clearly it's a tricky thing. And as you point out, with, with a furlough scheme going to October, you, you know, it's okay now because the furlough scheme is still more or less in operation, but if something like this was to happen in November, well, yeah. sure, surely they would have to... Or, say, if it was this, they're until, right, you're shutting until the middle of September, and then you'd have two weeks' wages, and they'll be having to contribute 10%, and we don't know what 
calories that are on. If you if you're a company and you you got all your big wigs who are maybe only at fifty grand a year, stuff like that, and they're on they don't pay ten percent of their salary, that'd be a huge chunk of oh, money. I think I think it is capped. I think yeah, you know, it's capped to I think it's about three thousand, two and a half thousand a month. Um, okay. But still about two hundred and fifty pounds a month. So um, it's quite yeah. a lot of money, and you think if you're, yeah, if a, you're big, a bigger company, or if you're struggling already, you didn't have. Uh, if you're struggling before the pandemic, yeah, if you're you're, you're bleeding money effectively. Um, also, Chris Whitty, England's chief medical officer, um, he said, "quote We have probably reached near the limit of the limits of what we can do in terms of opening up society." And Professor Graham Medley, the chairman of the SAGE subgroup on pandemic modelling, suggested that pubs would have to close to allow the capacity for schools to reopen in September, as the government has promised. So, Thomas, do you think that's likely the government will shut pubs to reopen schools? Um, I'm quite confused about this one, because it's like, what on earth have the pubs got to do with the schools? Because it's like... Saying, are they going to teach them in a pub or something like that? Are they going to imagine old Mr. Martin going for a pint? <laughs> teaching his politics, politics group. Um, no, I don't, um, I, don't, I don't understand it really because, again, the government will want to look after the economy and the pubs, the hospitality sector is a massive part of our economy in the UK. And it's, uh, but also you've got to think about this. There could be, if the... Um, we're fortunate enough, I think, to get out of school because I know we. It was our last exam. Uh, it was our exams got cancelled. But the thing is that these people were lost out on education, but we got taught the whole syllabus there or thereabouts. So I think we're quite lucky with that. But the, I I don't understand why they want to say pubs to shut. I know there's a bit about capacity in case of spreading of the virus and spreading it to. Because imagine if you got going to a school and it went from person to person to person to the teacher, the teacher's elderly parents and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good sound effect there to, to say the dramatic uh, teacher. Because yeah, the problem is in schools that the vast majority of students, they would probably be asymptomatic, they wouldn't be badly affected. Yeah. But then mm. they've got vulnerable family members, you've got vulnerable teachers, um, and that that's a worry. Um so, I mean, it's interesting as well in terms of timing, because if it's the case that at the start of July there was a little bit of leeway to reopen things, well, clearly the government took the decision that schools w- would have been shutting for a summer anyway, yeah. so they w- would would shut. But it's 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 definitely going to be a political decision. Yeah, it is. And obviously it's going to have a great, massive impact on the future of our country. You're thinking if they're losing a significant amount of education and they're going to have to teach themselves that, maybe. Mm, or, I mean, or are they going to be doing more hours when they go back? Because um, to, to catch up. Yeah, because if you're thinking if you're a year 10 or a year 12, you're going to be sitting your exams next year. You're thinking about the next step in your life. And you, you don't know what's going on. You don't know, am I going to be back, back at school in four weeks' time? Am I... Um, 
Am I going to get any UCAS predicted grades? Am I going to be able to apply to university? Exactly, and and it's hard for, especially the year 12s, again, because all of the university open days have been online. And Virtual. I, yeah. I, I personally found that, you know, you can troll through lots yeah. of different websites and they all sound the same. You need to go to yeah, a place and feel what it's feel like. Place, cause it's not just the university in itself, it's the surroundings, like... If you're next to, I don't know, say if you're your accommodation box next to a supermarket or something, you might want to be, or handy to public transport, you know, that's, um, you, they may not say that on your open day, right, we've got our Tesco's and Iceland next door, you know. <laughs> Which, uh, or I even, think you're drawing... Even the luxury, we've got a Mark Spencer's next door. <laughs> oh, wow, that really would be making to big leagues. But, and I, I think another element of the uncertainty is that the exam boards have said, well, look at what exams will be like next year, whether they'll be kind of, if you've got yeah. an essay question, having mm -hmm. the choice of three essays instead of two, or an element of, of being allowed an, an open book. But yeah. again, they haven't reported back on that yet. Yeah, and as well as, I think, they're on about shifting the calendar, because currently it's um, the first week of May, your exams start, and they go on for about two weeks, you get the half-term break in over two weeks. But you're thinking, about, will they have the time for that? And they get this massive long summer, but maybe I feel sorry for them because they could lose that massive long summer. They could just start in June or something like that after the half term. And I think an, an interesting thing that's, that a lot of people are worried about is that disadvantaged students um, yeah. are, are they're, they're doing less well with their home learning compared to compared to those in perhaps more advantaged. Mm -hmm. I, I saw a graph on The Economist and it was showing that people from from households with, with high income have actually been uh, doing better than average on these online learning platforms like Sam Learning and Hegarty Maths and My Maths and all of these. Oh, My Maths, I forgot to check out, I'm so sorry. Oh, Maybe some of them people will not have been able to check out, I've got to think about that. Do they have the access to the... Do they have the good broadband? Do it. Do, does that area have the internet of Wi-Fi? Does that area have the 4G, 5G connection? Exactly, because the government launched the scheme to be getting laptops in the hands of these young people. But I don't but think they got them soon enough. They didn't get them as soon as they finished. And then broadband isn't an overnight thing, especially if you're somewhere like Cumbria. If you know one person can be on the broadband at a time before it goes dodgy, and your parents are trying to work from home or something. Yeah. So, the government also reintroduced a 14-day quarantine period for people arriving from Spain, effective almost immediately, after cases there doubled within a week. The government defended the decision, saying they were just responding to the latest data, but it was criticised by others who said it was done too suddenly and without enough support for those who will be affected. So, Thomas, what do you think of that decision? Um, I think... Um... I think it's the right decision to reimpose a quarantine, but I think the terms of it could have been changed. Because if I, if I was the government, I was saying, right, you get home, you go self-isolate or quarantine, etc. But get a test. Please get a test. Because hey, if they do get they, um, do get a test, it turns out negative. Then we just say, right, you just stay for seven days and just check at the end of that week, do a test again. And if you're fine then you can go back to work. These people who, there's some people who, like, normal working class people, gone on holiday because they, uh, they've they had massive arguments with their parents or stuff like that, and they can't stand the sight of their siblings, <laughs> and they're wanting to go on holiday, and uh, I think I, I understand because I want to get away from my house, you know, it's quite 
seeing the four walls is quite uh, quite tedious over this time. I'm sure you'll agree, Jacob. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much of the same four walls you can... Yeah, uh, and the, the thing is, I... They should retest them, but there's another thing which really gets gets me uppity about this is the fact that they they put you on SS. Well, not they're not even paying them actually, do they? If you're going, uh, if you come back from saying, I think they should have maybe so said the people um, who were already already there in Spain. They didn't know anything about this. They should be paid uh, for that two weeks. Yeah, for sickness pay um, for when they're yeah, quarantining. Yeah, and then uh, the people who already knew about it and have gone, they shouldn't be paid at all. I mean, the, the flip side of this is obviously that the people going on holiday knew that it's still the middle of a pandemic, that yeah. the quarantine had only just been mm-hmm. lifted. So you might, if you're taking a more hardline stance, you might say, you know, you're taking that risk and on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I wonder, Thomas... Would you feel comfortable going abroad right now? Um, not really, no. I know there's some people who are desperate. I know I've seen people who've gone went abroad the exact day the uh, the, court, the initial quarantine period was lifted. And the thing is, it's just I just I was thinking like, what happens if you um, you get COVID abroad? If you got it and if you fall ill, and it's uh, the thing is. It's, it's not like an NHS in, in Europe. We don't. They don't have an NHS. You have to pay, and you have to have good insurance. I mean, you'll have your, you'll, you, you have, your have your e- card. You have your e card, but you'll still have to pay at the time. And I, you wouldn't want to be that spending two, uh, like a week in a holiday uh, in a hospital on a ventilator abroad where they don't speak your language. It doesn't sound relaxing, does yeah, it? Yeah, no, and also the freedoms that you have on your holiday, you like it because you can relax, you can just like not think about things, but you've got to, no, you've got to think, right, am I right distance away from that person? Am I, I'm not getting, oh no, I can't, I can't get uh, sitting next to them or something mm. like that. You've got to, there's not going to have the freedom that you usually want because you go on a holiday to completely switch off from your normal life. And, uh, I don't think you can do that. I think it's too stressful and you think, just for little things like you go on inclusive, your breakfast buffet, what do you do there? Mm, and, yeah. I, and I think for, for me, and this is just my personal opinion, but for example, going on a, a nice relaxing beach holiday, you know, that would have sounded really good after a, bu- a bunch of revision and 15 A-level exams. But after three months of lockdown, leaving the house once a day for a walk, there's only, you kind of want to be active again. Yeah. Uh, so may, maybe that's a consideration. Yeah, and obviously, I know they're pushing the staycations, and um, it's, uh, I, I, I think at the minute, I think people would just be glad to go anywhere. Well, I would be. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. if anyone wants to house Thomas, anyone anyone down south or up in Scotland, then uh, you know how to get in touch on the usual <laughs> social media channels. Um, yeah, because um, I think if a two day, just a night away somewhere would be uh, a good thing. I think a change of scene because some people, obviously, um, you know, mental health will have taken a big hit. Like, are you? You, some people will need something to look forward to, you know, look ahead. Like, I think we, ourselves, we were fortunate enough to have the university, univer, going to university to look forward to. But some people, they were like, what am I going to do? Exactly. Like, for me, through lockdown, I'm kind of thinking, whatever's happening, that 
kind of start of yeah, October I, is yeah. what I'm working towards. Yeah, because I was kind of, I kind of doing bits and bobs like booking accommodation, getting, um, starting out student loans, um, getting bursaries, etc. ready for um, September. So looking ahead uh, further into the distance of September for the winter, uh, the Prime Minister said that he was hoping for the best and planning for the worst. On, on one hand, he said he hopes that we can have significant normality by Christmas with no social distancing or other restrictions. But on the other hand, epidemiologists worry that the virus will spread better in the winter. Uh, the government committed an extra £3 billion to keep the temporary Nightingales hospitals open this winter and aimed for a testing capacity of 500,000 a day by the end of October. So, Thomas, where do you think this is heading? What's the end <laughs> I don't know. Get your so crystal ball out. Looks, I get my crystal ball. Ooh. It'd be really good if they had, like, a, if Dominic Cummings' name was actually Crystal Ball, and then, you know, he'd be able to look... Boris Johnson would really be able to look at his crystal ball. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing is, um, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but I think some people, specifically... Uh, this is, not, this is obviously not including myself and Jacob, that young people who are completely ignoring the social distancing rules, and as you mentioned, young people are more to be asymptomatic, and uh, I think they should, they're, they're risking spreading the virus by going over to these parties. I think that's partially the reason why what's happened in Manchester's happened, and I think if they continue to be really um, loose with the rules and not respecting that social distancing, then we're gonna just be back at square one and we won't want that in the winter because you've got to think you've got dark nights you won't be able to go for a daily walk you won't be able to go um you won't be able to go away on your holiday to the seaside mm, and i think yeah the temptation would be not to meet your friends outside but to have them all in your house and yeah and when when you've got the flu going yeah. around as well there'll be yeah. a lot more people with the you covid got, symptoms yeah of you a got fever obviously you got the flu you can have, you have stuff like the norovirus as well and um yeah it's quite obviously a lot of, and i know myself a lot of sickness bugs going around at christmas and as well you got to think about the thing about being locked in at christmas if not able to see your family and people struggle enough with the mental health aspects of Christmas as it is if they're alone. Yeah. Imagine if you're locked in, not able to see anyone. And I, I think I think the kind of the end game overall is yeah. is a is a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um and there are hopes that, you know, maybe there's this Oxford one that's gone through the clinical trials it seems to to be working and to be safe. And they've ordered however many uh, millions of doses but I mean that would be a Herculean effort to get first of all vulnerable yeah. people and frontline workers mm -hmm. done before the rest of the population. Yeah it's, it's, it's tough because do you expect to give everyone a vaccine and everyone's safe with it or because you don't know even if you think someone's going to be asymptomatic that, that they might that might be symptomatic you know. Mm. And still if you're asymptomatic you can pass it on. Yeah, yeah, and you can obviously pass it on. That's why I think many of the face coverings have come into use. You think about that, asymptomatic people. Um, because if you're symptomatic, you'll be using public transport going to shops. But it's quite tough because you'd have to... Uh, when it comes to a vaccine, you think you'd give people to, like... Um, you'd give it to people who are obviously the shielding group. you give it to people who are eligible for a flu vaccination. Uh, like myself, in the group with long-term health conditions like mild diabetes or people who've got asthma or uh, COPD, uh, then you've got to think you've got to have the nurses as well, all frontline 
health workers, and you've got to think that's millions of people. Well, not millions of people. Well, yeah, it probably, people. It probably is. Yeah, cause I, 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 it was a few million who got the letter to Shield. Yeah, cause, uh, two million, I, and I think diabetes was included in that, and I think it's about four million diabetics in the UK. So you're thinking about that. Even millions, and then that's not even touching the police officers, the teachers, the firemen, you know. And women. Fine woman, yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, the girl posties. I mentioned that for my dad. <laughs> you know, po- people, shout out to Thomas's dad. People need a people need post post office in Christmas. You know, you won't be able to get your presents or cards from anywhere. So, you know, you got. I think obviously the key, just the key workers in general, and the people who are eligible for the flu vaccine. You think, God, that could be up to nearly thirty, forty percent of the population, and then there won't be enough for that. Well, with that, uh, with that, the government has ordered, for example, 100 million of, I think it's the Oxford vaccine, but um, it's not, it, another thing that's not clear is, will people need it once and then, you know, jobs are good enough, or will they need it once every year for, for how, how long, but who knows, Thomas, who knows, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to perhaps more familiar territory in the other news. <laughs> First off, in the other news, uh, the US presidential election is yay! less than 100 go days. Yay. Go, no, I should say, go yay, go yay. He calls ah, yes. Yay. We'll all be lining up to vote for him. Oh, wait, they can't because he didn't register with the Electoral Commission. Um, less than 100 days, but with the pandemic getting worse in the southern and western states, there are questions over how it can safely take place. A big alternative is postal voting, but Donald Trump tweeted... With universal mail-in voting, 2020 will be the most inaccurate in capital letters and fraudulent, again in capital letters, election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely and safely vote. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Clearly he's a big embarrassment to the USA. Thomas, it's untrue and it's autocratic, <laughs> is it not? Um, well, delaying the election is certainly... I think you got so far... You know, it's like a year-long process, even longer than a year, in fact. Um, I mean, I, I don't... I, I, I could understand the lane election for other reasons, not the reasons that he said about the fraudulent... He said the fraudulent post-votes, which was organised by lamestream media or something like that. Um, yeah, but I, I think... You've got to think, because according to it, obviously the Covid compliance and polling stations, you're thinking about the pandemic still raging in America, 150k deaths, over 5 million cases I think it is, and it's, um, it's going to be difficult because if you're like uh, going into vote in a polling station, you're like, right, uh, you often see big queues in America, and you're thinking, right, this is a uh, coronavirus will be rubbing his hand, this is, this is uh, my chance to spread around, you know, so it, in that reason I could see them delaying it. But I don't think they will because they got so far. They've obviously had the primaries, the caucuses, etc. They the nominations have been announced, and you know, Kanye and Elon Musk are going to plan their super domination of the world. And you know, I think it's going to be an interesting election, Jacob. Obviously, not only with coronavirus. I think obviously with the George Floyd murder, which we discussed on the show. Uh, well, how big a part that's going to play. I, um, yeah. I yeah. I mean. Looking at it from a purely legal perspective, Do- Donald Trump does not have that power, and that's why it was asked as a question. Yeah, uh, obviously, I forgot to mention, it is in the Constitution, isn't it? The 
third yeah. Tuesday in November. Apart yeah. from if it's the first, it's got to be the eighth. So, um, <laughs> so the way it's very, it is very specific, and, and it's a very uh, obviously you've got to check whole Congress to agree with it, and you've got the state legislature. Yes. Yeah, so well. if the only way they could change it is a vote in Congress, and obviously the the House is Democrat controlled, and it's very unlikely that they're going to yeah, vote. Given that the polls are looking healthy for Joe Biden as well. Yeah, and then uh, even if the election is somehow delayed, the Constitution states that Donald Trump's presidency ends on, is it the 21st of January? Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> as for how the election will go, yes, Joe, Joe just needs to stay in his basement and it seems to be working so, so, so far for him. So well, the Economist, they have a poll tracker which, um, which has him comfortably ahead and of course Trump's big thing was you know look how good the economy was we're winning so much you're gonna get fed up of winning well I'm sorry Mr. Trump but the economy isn't looking good anymore so if, if there's one small silver lining from the terrible thing that's coronavirus it might be that it hurts Donald Trump's chance of re-election. Um, back, hey. back, back home uh, the Prime Minister has announced measures to combat obesity uh, for example, junk food adverts will be banned on TV before night. I, I do just want to clarify that, you know, the coronavirus is a terrible thing, so many deaths. I, I, I perhaps was a bit too glib with that remark. <laughs> uh, but, but Donald Trump has fallen in the polls since, because of his handling of the pandemic. Um, yes, yeah, so, so Boris, um, junk food adverts will be banned on TV before 9pm. In-store promotions will be limited. Uh, some restaurants will be required to put calorie labels on menus. Uh, Boris had initially described himself as a libertarian on tackling obesity, but changed his mind after he almost died from coronavirus um, and, and his weight was a factor in the severity of it. Thomas, do you think the state should intervene in this way? And do you think the measures that have been proposed will make any difference? Um, I mean, the 9 o'clock jungle food adverts thing, it's like, obviously you've got a natural watershed and uh, they're still being put on television, and I, I know obviously it might combat child obesity by not being on children's programs, etc. But you know, if you know, if you know, like, I you think of stuff like I think exposure of schools as well to um, to uh, junk food. Like obviously we were in a prime location, weren't we? Quite <laughs> right by Cranston's over the road. We had uh, well, Cranston's not really junk food, but still a bit. Yeah, a bit fatty. Um, I'm, very, I'm very partial to it. Um, and obviously you had Home Bargains, Aldi, Iceland. We had McDonald's up the road. We had Morrison's. We had Booze. We had the whole town centre on outdoors. So, and that doesn't help uh, in a way. But I, I don't even notice junk food adverts on television. Maybe the odd one from McDonald's or KFC. But I don't really notice them. I don't think that maybe people pay much attention to the adverts really, do you? I I know it's a hard thing. Like um, I've I've never consciously seen an advert on telly for a Domino's pizza and picked up the phone and straight away ordered a Domino's pizza. It could be you know gurgling in the back of my mind, and the more I see them, the more I I want one. I can understand the thing about promotions in stores. Yeah. For example, buy one get one free on chocolate bars. You can understand that if that yeah. was the offer, you would buy two. And yeah, because you two, you because eat. you'd buy two instead of one. Mm. If it's cheaper to buy two than it was to buy one, you know. But it's it's interesting because the sugar the sugar tax on fizzy drinks that was introduced a couple of years ago that seems to have been a big success and and I think the reason 
isn't that it pushed consumers to healthier or less unhealthy drinks because of a price difference. It's that the manufacturers didn't want their drinks to be more expensive, so they reformulated them with new recipes, less sugar, and, and that's why it was a success. Yes, uh, yes indeed, Jesse. Uh, what else was I say? Uh, you know, I, I think that also we're putting something on cycling, and I, I thought that I said the doctors were going to be able to prescribe you a bike. <laughs> um, which I think is a bit weird. I know they could say go cycling, but actually, you think about. Um, I've been told a couple of times actually by the diabetic clinic going like, right, um, do you go, uh, do you lose a bit of weight, go go swimming, go walking, go cycling? But so sometimes I just think I, I don't have the time to do it. It's, it's quite time consuming trying to lose weight in a way because, you know, making a nice healthy meal will take longer than. Like banging in a microwave uh, spaghetti carbonara or something like that, or a tin of macaroni cheese. Exactly, and I think I think a lot of people over lockdown will have kind of got used to their one daily walk yeah. because when you've got something so yeah. limited, you start to look forward to it. But it's about trying to keep it up when you're when you're busy and when after a busy yeah, day. Yeah, I I, I completely feel, uh, agree with you in that one because even me, I I I started off doing a daily walk in the first two months or so and then since like the start of June since we've been able to do things, go out of the house, etc. Uh, I haven't really done many daily walks. I mean maybe a weekly walk. A fortnightly walk sometimes, you know. Um and another thing I said about you said about the calories in the menu, I think it would be a good thing, but would you pay that much attention? Because I I'm like I would prefer it if they put carbohydrates on the menu, so I could calculate how much medication to have. But um, they, uh, I mean, do you, would people take that much notice that's, of calories on the menu? That's the thing. Some people would, and I suppose some people would be surprised. Uh, just, just to go on again, Jake, about this. I think there's also. I think it's quite expensive to eat healthily. I think you see in the shop, your your ready meals will be cheaper. Then all the ingredients to make for I don't know, um, I and something that healthy like if you want to make a nice healthy quiche or something like that or a nice pasta dish, and the ingredients for that will be more expensive than it is to buy a microwavable ready meal, and some people who have been in for an eight nine hour day at work, will they be bothered to cook a meal? And I, I think I think this is the thing. I think if you find the right recipe and the right ingredients, I think it can be easy and cheap to to cook healthy food. Um, but perhaps there isn't the education there as well. What well, one thing as well that going back to what you mentioned about the calories on menus, I think there's a big concern for um, people suffering from anorexia because yeah. that's not going to help them. At uh, all. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, and then if you're being pressured to lose weight, there's these people who are, say, it's usually more young young girls who suffer from eating disorders, I think, usually. And uh, you see, because of down to people saying, oh, right, I want to be like that person who's slim, skinny, good looking, etc. But the thing is. Not everyone can you, be like me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might actually be slim yourself and not that. Not, not like not that healthy. It's you can you can do lots of exercise and eat quite well and just be big bones. So I think if a language needs to be careful about being healthy as opposed yeah. to being you know, skinny yeah. or not. Because some people, because you just think about like uh, 
if someone might take it to offence, like if I think, oh my god, I need to cut down my calories, I've seen it on the menu, I cannot have anything from Frankie and Benny's, and then you go, you go into Nando's, I cannot have anything from Nando's, and then, um, <laughs> I'm only joking about that, but basically, on the serious side of things, I think if you have suffered from eating disorders, it might feel, if you see other people, like, doing it, you may want to do it again, and some people can go too far. Exactly, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, before, we'll move on before I get really hungry and start fancying an Anders or a Frankie and Venice. And Thomas, you're, you're very excited to talk, well, very kind of <laughs> bitter, to talk about what's happening in Newcastle. Now, I'll, 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 I'll hand over to you and suggest that you don't talk for 20 minutes. Okay, so basically what's happened this week is that, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take you back to the start, so I'll go for every little bit for the last four months now. Really. <laughs> um, so basically, in April, it was announced that the Saudi Public Investment Fund, alongside Amanda Staveley, who's a big financier down in London, and uh, the Ruben Brothers, one of the richest families in the UK, had, uh, had been accepted to buy Newcastle United. And this is the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, and obviously there's been much controversy over it, because it's effectively a country by a controlling stake in a football club in the Premier League. And lots of um, lots of things were going on about it. Firstly, I think one was the human rights issues, obviously. There's, they don't treat women well over there and stuff like that. And um, also, you got to go, there's this uh, piracy, broadcast piracy, which is um, the Premier League, basically, they have a foreign broadcaster called Bean Sports, which is run by Qatar owned by Qataris, and they uh, they brought up this thing called uh, a Butte Q box, which I, it, <laughs> I think people have probably done a similar thing over here, but they were apparently they're severing links from the Bean Sports, um, like uh, satellites, yeah, and uh, they were making it illegal to what, well, making it available to stream, but obviously it's illegal. And, what uh, what happened was that the WTO came into the piracy thing about Saudi Arabia and Q. They're trying to uh, link um, Saudi Arabia, well, it's the government with it, the Saudi Arabian Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, and it's um, it found out that the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund is a completely different entity to the um, to the uh, government over there, and. Uh, the Public Investment Fund was obviously the um, group that was going to invest into Newcastle United. And it was... Um, and then that came out, and then the Saudi Arabians, uh, they sort of crashed the piracy. They were really, really, really uh, cracked down on it. And then it's almost like, we've done everything we want Premier League. Can you pass through our takeover? And they were told in about April, Amanda Staley came out to the Times, um, on Friday, I think, saying like, right, uh, we've done everything you want Premier League, but you're not doing this. You you just told us we're not gonna pass it, but we're not gonna fail you. So you're just gonna wait months and months and months, cut spending loads of money on your lawyers and etc., and then nothing would happen. But so, so is it is it on is it off is it it's on quite pause? confusing because, because they're gonna get fed up basically the saudi arabian public festival fund and the consortium they uh, they pulled out 
on of the deal. They released a statement saying they've pulled out of the deal because it was taking too long. And uh, they'd done everything the Premier League had asked them before, and they'd gone extra mile by squashing the BLQ box and um, clarifying that the um, the death of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, who was a uh, journalist who got murdered due to raising up the human rights concerns, uh, they revealed that that wasn't completely separate from the public investment fund, but still they wouldn't pass it. And this is when power playing the Premier League comes in when. Um, it was rumoured Amanda Staley came out and said that there's other teams who didn't want Newcastle to get this takeover because Newcastle would be become the richest club in the world by over 10 times uh, in the Premier League by over 10 times because Manchester City very rich they got an 18 billion dollar worth owner Newcastle United's owners together if this went through would be 260 billion dollars worth so that, so that could have really turned around. Yes, the it could have. It could have turned. It, yeah, it could have turned Newcastle United into a, a, a powerhouse. But the reason why I mention this on the, sh- the show is because it's not just a fact affecting the football club. It affects the whole region of the northeast of England completely. Because if you see what's happened in Manchester since they've um, uh, the shake spot into uh, Manchester City. They've developed a whole nice area around the football ground. They've um, extended the football ground. They've put this really nice academy with a really good stadium in to give these young football players this chance. Giving young people, young working class lads from Manchester a chance to get into the England team. And they've also invested money into local council, local area, etc. And Amanda Staley Council said the blueprint was we were going to give £250 million to the city of Newcastle. We were going to uh, buy, make a huge academy to get these working class joy lads into the team, uh, giving Newcastle something to shout about. Like, say, you see Tottenham Hotspur will come and sing Harry Kane from all of our own. We, Newcastle United don't have anyone to sing about that at the moment. So, and they were going to build a new training complex and. Um, they currently, at the moment, um, showing how things, how dire things are under the current owners, Mike Ashley, who's obviously had problems with workers' rights in the UK, faced select committees, and he's um, they haven't spent money on the training ground for years, and the high, the current hydrotherapy pool is a paddling pool. So, <clears throat> so from from that perspective, uh, yeah, we the, will hope that the deal goes through soon. Yeah, they were they were gonna. I understand that every time, but basically what was happening, the Premier League said they weren't going to allow it to go through or go wrong, but they're both parties still committed to the deal, and there's been protests, petitions, etc. going on Twitter, Facebook, and um, yeah, it's it seems that the Premier League and Qatar are in cohorts, and the bigger clubs, because the bigger clubs were scared of... Um, a new superpower coming to play in the league and they would lose out on the huge financial income of European football. I'm just going to go on one more point because I think Tom Hotz and everyone's one of them, they just spent £1 billion on a new stadium and they're in severe amounts of debt and European football will get rid of that debt. But if another team comes in, takes their spot, they lose that money and they go into extreme amounts of debt. It's, so, it's a complicated web of... But, but, it, in the in the Premier League direct test which has been going on, I they should they shouldn't really allow other teams uh, third parties to um in um, influence on what goes on. But it seems that they have. 
and the protest. There's been protests and there's a petition online okay. now for the government to <laughs> do an independent owners and directors test. Given that the government okay. has a billion, multi-billion pound deal with Saudi Arabian Arabia when it comes to. Uh, Arms. What Thomas didn't mention is that he's the one who started that petition. Um, <laughs> we're, we're going to uh, move on now. Thank you, Thomas, for that, for that interesting update that I couldn't have touched the surface on. And we're going to round off the news with a new segment that I like to call the Smile File. So, inspired by the Stephen Colbert Late Show, Thomas and I will each share our favourite feel-good news story of the week. Thomas, what's yours? Well, this is, I think this is a very, very feel-good story, Jacob. It is Newcastle United Takeover! No, <laughs> 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 oh, no! Um, no, it's not, sorry. Uh, this is about um, Suffolk Villagers Club. Have, no, actually, Suffolk Villagers have clubbed together to buy a dog a wheelchair. So, um... It says a dog is a happy chappy again after villagers club together to buy him a wheelchair so he can join walks after losing the use of his back legs. The spaniel called Max was fitted with wheels thanks to villagers in Stanton near Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk who raised more than £850 in 10 days. Max lost the use of his back legs when he fell off a bed in October. So the fund fundraiser and neighbour of the uh, owner of Max, Dee Burdett, said his owners could not believe the response from the village. So, it's a, a really feel-good story of a oh. good community spirit. Going Clubbing to together. Poor dog who, obviously, life must have been miserable for him. And, you know, he can walk. be able to go for his uh, lunchtime walkies. Yeah, oh, that's very St. Edmunds. That's very nice. So, mine comes from uh, Canada. And a, a woman called Mara was uh, given a teddy bear by her ill mother who who was dying and oh, I've seen this one dry, yeah. yeah since died with cancer and it was especially special because when you squeeze it it, it has a, it had the mother's voice with a special message on but it was stolen when Mara was moving house um so she she launched a twitter appeal to, to you know please does anyone know anything about this bear and all of a sudden famous people started chipping in so for example actor Ryan Reynolds offered a $5,000 reward for the bear's return and basically a guy was able to uh, look at the CCTV, see who had taken it, uh, identify them, find them and get the bear back so so she was reunited and she, she said as soon as I saw him pull the bear out of the bag my knees just buckled I started sobbing and I grabbed her out of his hands and I couldn't let go so how nice is that? Yeah it just I think that's two stories it just shows when people uh, you get to the bottom of people's hearts that there is a lot of goodness in human beings as we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, next up, we're moving to the battle of the wits. No, 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 no. please. The battle of the wits. There we go. That's that's how it's actually done. And today, it's a two-parter. Starting with a new segment called Two Truths and a Bit of Fake News. We will each present three news stories or facts and offer three. The other has to guess which one 
is fake news. Thomas, do you want to prepare to present your first? My first one is uh, a woman trading a hairpin for a minivan. She achieved this through a Trade Me project where she went around trading things with people. So it started off with a hairpin, so she traded that in for something else and something else. And she says she won't stop until she gets a house. Okay. Do you want me to go for my second one? Yeah, go for Okay, so Tim Allen, obviously star of the Toy Story, um, not trilogy anymore, quadrilogy, four films. Um, he made a big revelation recently. The Buzz Lightyear star posted this quote to Facebook. President Trump's wall costs less than the Obamacare website. Let that sink in America. It was signed off by him, you got this official, you know, um, uh, autograph, and he also, um, yeah, so it was quite a stir. And he's a big Republican to Ireland, of course. He's a very big fan of Donald Trump. And uh, number three, he was in, in Mexico. A woman, a woman managed to snap a selfie with a big black bear. The bear approached a group of hikers who were going for a walk, then sniffed and nudged one of them, who that person managed to have the nerve to take a selfie while remaining calm. Wow, okay, well, to, to go through a free, I, I've heard about that paperclip thing before trading up, so something, was it a paperclip instead of a hairclip? I'm wondering if you changed that detail. They did get to a house, I'm not sure if there's a van in the middle. Tim Allen, not familiar with him, not, don't know about that treat. It would seem strange if he was a big Trump fan to um, to, to criticise the wall, one of his flagship policies. Oh, he said the uh, wall costs less. Costs le cost less. Okay. Oh, of course, so, um, my bad. Um, and I'm thinking that actors generally generally would like to keep themselves out of a political limelight, but I know Tom Hanks, for example, he got coronavirus and then has been very vocal about wearing a mask, so people do it. Um, I mean, you can be sceptical about the fact that there's anyone who exists that really likes Trump. The third one about the bear in Mexico, um, you'd have to have some nerve, but I'm sure some people would really appreciate yourself if you were there. I'm going to save a bit of fake news is uh, Tim, Tim Allen, Facebook. That is correct. Ah, Jacob, there you go. Ah. Uh, there's fake news, fake news, you know. Fake news. But the latest media. Now, I, I've got, I've got three ones for you, and they're, they're actually, they're a bit more statistics based, but I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot. It's not Rory Stewart's eighty percent of the public agreed with Theresa May's deal. Rory Stewart is on here actually, but <coughs> that's not it. Not um, the first one is that a Washington Post review on the 2016 US presidential election found only 200 proven cases of postal voting fraud. So obviously that ties in with what, what we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, the second one is that in the February 1974 general election in the UK, Edward Heath and the Conservatives got 227,000 fewer votes, no, more votes, sorry, than Harold Wilson and Labour, but far fewer seats. And the final one is that Rory Stewart called for schools to be closed because of coronavirus on the 9th of March. The government eventually closed schools on the 18th uh, Okay, I, I know that Rory Stewart is definitely true because he was a very outspoken 
beforehand. Uh, I think I saw it on his Twitter page. Uh, what was the second one, Wilson? Uh, yeah, the second one was the 1974 election. Tories, more votes but fewer seats than Labour. Which could be possible in the first past the post. So I'm not bringing that out. Um, uh, but, uh, but then you think about it, even um, and the first one, what was that again? The first one was the postal voting the postal like 200, 200 cases in 2016. I think there could have been more because of uh, nobody really would want Trump taking on. So I'm going to say the postal vote was fake news by the mainstream media. <laughs> it's funny because, it, yes, that was the fake news. It's fake news because there's only one proven case. One? I thought there was more. Go on. Only one. I thought that's why it was making um, a fuss about it. But there we go. Um, so we're tied 1-1 going into the second round of the Battle of the Wits, which is Guess Who's Talking? This time it's, however, with a twist, because we'll both have three quotations, but this time they come from an answer given by a Prime Minister or a question given by the Leader of the Opposition at Prime Minister's Questions. The other person will have to guess who said it and, for a bonus point, when they said it. Uh, Thomas went first last time, so I'll go first this time. The first one is, it does want to increase its powers, it is a non-elected body, so I don't want it to increase its powers. No, no, no. It's definitely about the EU. The second one is I lead my. Well, well, actually, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you the, the names or anything to pick from. So, do you want to guess that one first? Oh Lord, yeah. Um, Wait, a non-elected body. I think it would be said by a Brexiteer, but I might be wrong. Because I think he could have been Theresa May. I, I think it's quite recent. Um, I'm going to go with Theresa May. Okay. And 2019. Okay, well, actually, it was Margaret Thatcher in 1990. Margaret Thatcher, that's Margaret Thatcher, her last uh, Prime Minister's questions. She... Oh, wow turned into quite the Eurosceptic by the end. Um, at that point it was a European I just thought it was going to be something about Brexit. Um, number two, I lead my party, he follows his. Oh, bloody hell, I got that one as well. <laughs> 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 oh, I know, I know. So do you know who it is? That was Tony Blair in 95. <laughs> it was indeed. <laughs> there we go. What are the chances of that? And fi finally, um, Calm down, dear. Calm down. Calm down. Listen to the doctor. Calm down and listen to the doctor. Ooh. I'm just going to say it in a Boris voice. Calm down, dear. Calm down, you dear. Um, no, but dear, that sounds like you talk to a woman. So, is it from opposite members of opposition or...? It could be, I can't say. But it can be from both, either uh, the leader of opposition or the yeah. post. Okay, okay. Um, oh, that'd be. I was thinking female, obviously Thatcher. Not Michael Foot, no. Kinnock? No idea. Don't think so. I'd... Corbett. I think he did say something 
by sex is too much. I'm gonna go with Jeremy Corbyn. Okay, Jeremy Corbyn, which year? Um, 2018. It was actually uh, David Cameron in 2011. Calm down, dear. Yeah, it was Angela Eagle. Um, And he says it was in reference to a famous catchphrase by Michael Winner during a row about NHS reforms. But there was a bit of a row in the media about whether it was sexist. But that means, Thomas, you end the battle of the wits with three points. Three points. Good job. They're solid. They're solid. You've definitely got all these three points because I got the same ones. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, number one. The Shadow Education Secretary says that their economic policy is, and I quote Mr. Speaker, by your leave, shits or bust. Oh, goodness. Goodness. Say, say that again. The Shadow Education Secretary says that their economic policy is, and I quote Mr. Speaker, by your leave, shit or bust. Okay. I'll have to get my bleep machine out. No, <laughs> um, um, it's okay, it's okay, we can put an explicit thing on. I feel... I... I feel like that's a sort of Gordon Brown, David Cameron sort of era. Um, because, I mean, Gordon Brown famously promised to abolish boom and bust. I feel like I'm going to say it's David Cameron... And I'm wondering, he could be criticising Labour policy as the leader of the opposition, or he could be criticising it. I really don't know. How about, I'll just do a shot in the dark and say 2012. David Cameron, 2012. Okay, it wasn't David Cameron, and it wasn't 2012. Okay. It was last year, 2019, and it was Boris Johnson about Angela Rayner's education policy in the run-up to the election. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Okay, number two. You were the future once. Right, that is that is David Cameron. Um, when on Tony Blair's... No, no, I was going to say it was on Tony Blair's last Prime Minister's Questions, but no, I think it was on David Cameron's first Prime Minister's Questions, which would be in 2005. David Cameron, 2005. Correct. Okay. <laughs> there, okay. there is one very big difference. I lead my party, he follows his... Oh, oh, I'm not sure. Let me have a shot in the dark and say that it was Tony Blair in 1995. Oh, my word. How did you get that right, Jake? Honestly. Oh, oh I must have been lucky. In which case, we conclude 5-3. So I had a narrow lead in the battle of the wits. The battle of the wits! Oh, we should rename the battle of the wits. <laughs> <laughs> And now we'll welcome Angelina back onto the show. Angelina, hello. Uh, hello, Jacob. Hello, Thomas. Hello. Um, hello. So hello. a few weeks ago, both of you uh, decided to uh, traumatise me with a game of political snog, Marry Void. And now I'm back to uh, let you um, suffer the same fate that I did. <laughs> oh, goodness. And, and this, I know this was my idea, but I'm, I'm regretting it now. Um, but it is a twist in that, Angelina, you're asking both of us, and we've got to kind of we've compare. We've got to mutually just... <laughs> oh, we've got to trade our answers. Yeah. It's like yeah, a pointless... So you've got to decide who both of you are marrying if you both of you are snogging. <laughs> so, um, That's an interesting one. if you want to 
take it away? Absolutely. So um, for the first question, uh, your options are Jacinda Ardern, Angela Merkel or Justin Trudeau. I know which one William would marry, that would be Justin Trudeau. <laughs> well, that's because William, a few weeks ago, lost 30 marks on our quiz for not knowing who Justin Trudeau was. Um, um, Jacinda Ardern is amazing, I definitely yeah. want to marry her. Yeah, I should say that because she's a very good speaker, as you said, best public speaker in the world, someone said. Um, she's a great job with COVID. And she managed to get them COVID free, so. COVID free, it went with her guns as well when they had that horrible attack. She <laughs> yeah, in Christchurch, yeah. Um, yeah, and she and she does that all whilst being a mother. So absolutely, marry Jacinda Ardern. Are we in agreement? Yes. <laughs> now I'm wondering about snogging Angie, and I'm not really sure about that one. Um, just saying, you know, if I was, um, you know, if I that way inclined, if I was that way inclined, yeah, um, it wouldn't seem a bad option. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. No cheeky pet. <laughs> 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 oh, okay, so shall we shall we say Well snogged is the thing. Okay, and avoid mutty angie. Okay, there we go. Oh well that that was quite an experience to listen to that. Um <laughs> oh, sorry, to say, your options are um Thank God we have I'm to be two meters messy. away. Oh, oh sorry. I'm I'm warning you this one's a bit more difficult, um at least from my perspective. Uh, Alex Salmond, Nigel oh. Farage, or Nicola Sturgeon? Well, Alex Salmond been arrested for rape, so... Well, well he, was acqu- he was acquitted. Um, but he's had them allegations. But there are still allegations. Sturgeon, do, you, do we agree on marrying Sturgeon? Marrying Sturgeon, I think... Don't agree with the independence thing, but I think she's a good leader apart from she that. She's a good leader. She did a good job of COVID in my eyes as well. Yeah. A bit more stricter up there. Okay, and Farage as well. I mean, <gasps> Farage, I mean, I think I've said before, I think I said when Matthew was on Keeping It Current, that uh, the fact is, I do not agree with his policies, but if you saw him down the street for a chat, he probably would chat with you, wouldn't he? He probably would. Yeah. If you had a wild night out in the pub, you'd probably yeah. start dancing. Yeah, yeah. So reluctantly, are we saying that we'd snog Nige? So, yes. And avoid Salmond? Yeah. And Mary Sturgeon. Okay. So do do I have both of you now on record before saying you would snog Nigel Farage? Yeah, <laughs> apparently so. But that no, put it into context, and when That'd you put somebody in trial uh, for being a pedophile. No. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Uh, question number three. Uh, you have uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, Margaret Thatcher or Alan Hope, who, if you're not sure who that is, uh, Howling Lord Hope uh, might be on the other. Oh, Lordy, Lordy, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Can we avoid all of them? (laughs) You see, Margaret Thatcher, I think she'll be fascinating to spend a bit of time with, but also very... uh, I think she... Have you under the phone, Jacob? To be honest, I think I'd be scared of her. I yeah, but like, like, it's like, it's like if you're, like, you know, I don't know. She'd feel like your mother, wouldn't she? Um, or even grandmother. Jacob, you right now, <laughs> Jacob be smug if you lived with him. You might be his nanny. Yeah, maybe his nanny. 
Look, I'm tempted to snog or marry Thatcher. Because I think she's she's a woman and she's interesting. Okay, marry Thatcher. Not to say that that's a surprise, just to say that <laughs> yeah, women are obviously interesting. Um, um, so, okay, go marry Thatcher then. Okay. I don't know much about... Howling Lord Ho, I mean... I think pretty significantly better than Jacob Rees-Mogg. Imagine Jacob Rees-Mogg go, Ooh, hello. Stop pretending to kiss people. I'm gonna have nightmares. Um, but uh, Jacob, we... Jacob does uh, not not this Jacob. Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg does definitely remind me of Walter from the um, from being known. There's the menace. His little bow tie, his little dog. Uh, and the really circular glasses. So, so I don't. I don't want to marry Walter. I don't want to snog Walter. Should we snog Lord Hope because we know nothing well, about yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. And then ignorance <laughs> is bliss, and we'll avoid Jacob B. Smog and marry Margaret Thatcher. There we go. <laughs> Marrying the Iron Lady. Mm-hmm. This is, I've got to say, this is quite quite entertaining for me. You look um, like you're having a good time. Um. Uh, oh, I'm having a brilliant time. Question number four. Uh, Vladimir Putin, Kim <laughs> Jong-un or Donald Trump? Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. Lawyer. Now, there is kind of something, something intriguing about Kim Jong-un. Well, actually, if you've seen the film, the interview, he seems to delight to be... I, I believe he played himself, so you know. Mm. He is a massive fan of Katy Perry and likes fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> I think so as well. If you marry Kim Jong-un, then you could maybe... Bring... He wouldn't kill you! He wouldn't kill you, and he could bring you in from... Bring in North Korea from this pariah state. So I think we're marrying yes, Kim. I think we're going to marry Kim, as because he's got a woman's name as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um... Kim Kardashian you're talking about, isn't it? <laughs> in, my, in our dreams. Yeah. Um, I really, really, really would want to avoid Donald Trump. And... Vladimir is a bit of a conniving devil. <sighs> Trump would just be so annoying. You would. The problem is, if you snogged him, you would then get an orange face. All of his makeup would come off. And <laughs> his cat would jump onto your head. Like we could have said, marry, <laughs> marry Trump for his money if we were being a gold digger. Yeah, I mean, obviously, not a gold digger here. So shall we avoid Trump? Reluctantly snog. Putin and marry Kim Jong Un. Mm-hmm. There we go. I, I, I just think you both should see the uh, the picture of a uh, good old Putin on the back of a bear shirtless, and that might well change your mind. I, yeah, do, I, do, oh, I do like the new um, spitting image of released the new <laughs> version of Putin. It's like in this vest that is like. <laughs> I, I have seen that picture of Divi. It's your it's your phone uh, wallpaper, is it not? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Oh wait, in fact, it's just the, it's just I have a huge picture of it in my room, like a huge floor ceiling photograph. Well, Dibby, what you get up to in your room is none of my business. No. Okay, okay. Here we go. This is the next question. Uh, Michael Gove, Matt Hancock, or Nicky Morgan? Nicky Morgan. Well, I don't really like Nicky Morgan because she got into a lot. She was sat on the cabinet while being a lord, not an MP. Although that was only for a few months, that was a stopgap. Yeah, it is. But it was 
culture secretary, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, before. She Darwin was education came. as well. Um, yeah, Theresa May, wasn't it? Or was it with? I can't remember. Um, well, there's been so many. Matt Hancock. Um, Matt. I mean, he, he tries support, hard. He supports Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you. Um, so but he I just was, hope he doesn't put you in a care home. <laughs> no, I don't. He, so it was Matt, it was Nicky Morgan, and who? Govey. Now, Gove. I, I would avoid Gove. No, I'm thinking Gove. I read an article the other day which called him the government's in-house thinker. I think he would be an interesting guy to to chat to. Oh. I'd be tempted to marry Go. Snog no. more. No, no, no. No, I mean... Uh, I, I, I would... Oh, I think this is tough to a lot, actually. Because I think they're I think, all quite similar. I think, yeah, they're not... None of them are quite bad, but none of them are very good either. Yeah. <sighs> So, um, I'm thinking, <laughs> we just had an email from Mrs. Lawson. I realise you and Mr. Rooney are recording KFC at the moment. We are indeed we are recording. recording. <laughs> okay, uh, right, so, Miss Nog Morgan. Okay. If that was, um, Gove, I mean, Gove, uh, Gove just beat our good friend Mrs. Lawson, so. Okay, okay, so, okay we, we do, we do, in which case, straight away we avoid him. We avoid Gove, yeah. And he didn't even talk to her, apparently. No, he didn't. Did he even go to her? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 run it. So we're then um, marrying... Uh, Matty, Ma- Ma- Matty Hancock. Okay, there, there we go. That was a tough one, Divi. Yeah, and um, I'm sure Nikki Morgan will be very disappointed with you for marrying Matt Hancock, especially because in 2012 she uh, voted against gay marriage. Did she? She'd be very disappointed. Oh, well. Yes. Be very even more reason not to marry her. I thought she fashioned herself as a one-nation conservative. She was the equalities minister later on, and so she would be <laughs> forward to give the again, but... Who on earth made that appointment? Who knows? <laughs> Theresa May. Theresa May. Uh, okay. And uh, for your final question, because I, I think you told me to do six, um, uh, I'm taking you guys over to the left side of the political spectrum. Oh, uh, you have a choice between Jeremy Corbyn, oh, uh, Dennis Skinner, or Car- Caroline Lucas. Caroline Lucas is is a good one. Yeah, I think Caroline Lucas is quite a good MP. She stands up for her constituents, and she stands up for what she believes in. Yeah. Um... Skinner, Skinner's I mean, quite beast of Borsover. He, oh. He's quite old and strikes me as... But so is Corbyn. Oh, so is Corbyn. <laughs> Corbyn can be quite snide <laughs> at times, can't he? Yeah, yeah, but we... if you married him, he would make you his jam. <laughs> He'd also make you wear socks and sandals. <laughs> I um, would... I would... Uh... I would marry Caroline. Yes. Um, I don't know, but between these two... I mean, Jeremy Corbyn seemed to go from, what from one bumble, like one hole to the next hole. Kept and couldn't dig himself out of them. Um, oh my word! I would just snog Dennis Skinner because he's a bit of a legend for calling David Cameron dodgy Dave. <laughs> I think fair, fair enough. I know, yeah. So, dodgy Dave. So we're uh, avoiding your. Precious Jeremy Corbyn, where snogging 
Uh, Dennis Skinner and Lamar. Mary and Caroline Lucas. I bet Mrs. Lawson will be pleased about that one. There we go. <laughs> there we go. What do you think of that, Divi? I think it's all very charming, but I also think that for most of these, you replied, we will be marrying this person, we will be marrying this person. Well, you know, and I would just like know, to remind you I, that... I think uh, that's something that Jacob will bring in when he gets into number 10 Downing Street, you know. He will be two-person marriages. Monogamy two people is. can marry one person. There you go. Overrated. Oh, well, well, there you go. Sorted. No, let's say yeah. we is in like a, a keeping it current generic. Yeah, keeping it current team. Not a we in that sense. Oh, well, thank you very much, Divi, for, for coming and posing those very tricky questions to us. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed this uh, brief stint on keeping it current as ever. I'm glad we didn't scare you off and uh, see you soon. Thank you very much. So we're just ringing our special interviewer today. Hello. Oh, you're on speakerphone. Hello. <laughs> no, I, I. Hello, Jacob. How are you? Hi, Catherine. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. And uh, can I just say how highly delighted I am to be asked by yourself. Well, well, has never asked me to take part in keeping it current, and I don't know why. I don't know why either, but I'm glad... Well, we're about to find out now. We're about to find out. I'm glad that we're able to set the record straight now. So, how, how are you? How have you been keeping over lockdown? Uh, very well, thank you. I can't complain really, but although this time has not come without its challenges for everyone, um, how about yourself? How have you been keeping? Oh yeah, I, I've been okay too, thank you. I know, I know what you mean, we've all kind of been a little bit fed up at times. It's been very strange. Yeah, we've all we've all got our health, so that's that's the main thing. And to- Thomas was telling us about Tigger. Oh, Tigger is a handful. Thomas is Tigger's full-time cat sitter <laughs> as well as doing my hoovering and he's learned lots of new skills of decorating and tending to my washing oh wow and Ta- he's worn my hoover out so he'd be delighted to know that two I'm hoovers are broken <laughs> <laughs> well so he'll have to he'll have to try the new hoover out does he does he do a good job he does apart from his dad said it was time for him to learn to cut the grass um, in case he became ill and uh, David said it was like him watching watching him hoover the living room with the lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> so he did, he did do a great job on the grass <laughs> oh no well he hasn't asked him again what about yourself have you learned any new skills during uh, this pandemic I've I've been trying I I've been trying to cook a, a bit to help my mum and a bit to prepare for uni but I'm kind of I I'm sitting here with a um with a bandage on one of my fingers because I I slipped my finger on a food processor we got and had to had to go to A and E. Nasty. <laughs> but um 
but I, I've made some a few dishes and I've been making sure to do the washing. Because actually, oh, that, well, that's good because I was thinking about you because I thought you'd have to learn to look after yourself at uni before you move into number 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, surprised you know it's number 10. <laughs> oh, I do. I Thomas. <laughs> and I was just wondering, on a completely separate note, do you have any fun baby stories of Thomas that the viewers of... <laughs> The listeners would like to hear. Well, um, do you know what? I think I'm going to have to be very careful what I say about this because uh, I would still like Thomas to speak to me after this show, <laughs> although he has been trying his best to get away from me and hopefully he will be um, going to uni. But um, when Thomas was about two year old, we were in Coral Island in Black and he went missing. So started very, from a very early age, he was trying to run away from me. But it was a good job he had distinguishing clothing on, which was a Bob the Builder fleece. So he was easily found and able to recognise him. But hopefully he'll soon be escaping to uni. Um, I asked Thomas what was the worst thing about lockdown and he said it was spending time with me and he'd nicknamed me Miss Trunchbull from Matilda and apparently she's a horrible head teacher. <laughs> oh Thomas, after you, you gave your poor mum so much, so much grief losing you on holiday. And <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, Thomas, one uh, thing that springs to mind, he, Thomas used calamine lotion as a child but he renamed it to Caroline Lotion. He was asking uh, where uh, the Caroline Lotion was at. Um, he used to take off without his shoes on. Um, he always had a very good photographic memory and work out what day of the week it was, for example, for his birthday was on. Um, he fell off the bench once at sports day at school, had everyone in laughter. <laughs> Oh God, that's not that one. He uh, gets drunk on red wine. He does. Um, what else can I say? Um, so, and he's a he's an all round he's an all round lovable chap. So, if you want to date him again, just 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 send in your requests on the social media page, and we'll fix up it. We'll fix up a date. Oh, lovely. Um, there's too many things to mention, but I'd like. Yeah, I'm very proud of Thomas, and um, I hope everything goes well for both of you at, at uni. Oh, well, thank you, and thank you very much for calling and 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 sharing <laughs> some of those great insights into into many Thomas. I and think there are many other different ones as well. Well, we'll we'll. I co- think there is, but I just didn't dare tell all in case he didn't speak to me after this. <laughs> um, but Thomas is impersonations of Boris and Andy Murray and are excellent. You should get him to do a, a few of them. And as, as you know, from an early age, he's always like performing and public speaking. Oh, he was and, he was doing yeah. some of his Boris impressions um, on the, the, on the way up here. They are. <laughs> They're very good. Well, yeah. thank you, thank you very much for taking time out welcome. of your day. Thank Catherine. you very much. I didn't think I was ever going to get this turn on the radio. Well, <laughs> there we go. It's your fa- fame at last. Fame at last. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, and happy 18th birthday to you, Jacob, for Sunday. Oh, thank you very much. Thank have, you. have you got any people who you'd like to say hello to? <laughs> who I would like to say hello to. Um, starting off with my favourite child, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> she never says that. She always, she always says, always my favourite son and my favourite daughter. And my favourite son. Because when you've got one of each, it's easy to say that. Uh, and of course, my lovely husband of 25 years and uh, Tigger the cat. <laughs> uh, well, that's... Well, that's and all the great. listeners out there... Um, Thomas doesn't, he takes after me a little bit, which is good, but uh, <laughs> it, it is quite similar sometimes how you think you take after your parents and uh, there's some bits you'd rather not have, but unfortunately for Thomas, he has a few like myself. <laughs> oh, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't change anything for the world. <laughs> oh, that's lovely, Jacob, thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you for taking time out and have a, have a good rest of your day. You're very welcome. Thank you very Thank much. You. And I hope you filmed Thomas's face when you rang me then. I should have, but it was a picture, an absolute picture, because he, oh, thought, he thought Angelina was calling. Really, Angelina? Well, didn't we do well to keep this uh, under our hat? I think we can pat ourselves on the back. You did. You said say you were getting my mother on. But the thing is, I didn't actually think you'd do it. Cause she absolutely yeah. hates being phoned up at work. And oh, another thing is, you know what an unruly child Thomas was. That I once got into calls into primary school. I have to say, and he dared to say no to a teacher. She's asked him to do something. <laughs> he just said no, Thomas. No, he said no. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> what did what did she want? Thomas has just taken a drink and he's I trying not to know. spit it all off. What what did I the was, teacher want him to do? I don't know, but I was mortified. I couldn't believe it because obviously uh, uh, Thomas was following in the footsteps of his sister Emily. He didn't say do to a goose, and then Thomas had the audacity. Just say no to a teacher. Oh, Thomas. <laughs> we knew we knew as a rebel deep down there somewhere. Absolutely. Oh. oh, it's lovely to speak to you anyhow, and uh, I hope he's behaving himself and remembering all his pleas and thank you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, as always. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you very much. See, see you, see you soon, hopefully. Yeah, thank you, Jacob and Thomas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. How was that, Thomas? Shocking. <laughs> Mortifying. Um, <laughs> Slightly speechless. I am quite speechless, actually, but you know, she she can never complain that she's never been on there again. There we go. Only Mr. Martin can complain now. <laughs> that would have been something else. No, oh, I, I, I haven't, I'm afraid. Um, maybe, maybe next time. Um, but now we'll move on to the next segment. So Jacob asked me to prepare for a similar of Twitter twits, but it seems we've gone on a bit too long. So whoopsie daisy. I, I wanted to say um, uh, my three tweets, which I read out, and you know we were gonna tweet them up on Twitter, but I I, I think it's good to you know share mine which I came up with so this is uh, number one 
I totally agree with at real Donald Trump on the matter of the election being moved. Then it gives my boy at Kanye West a mahoosive chance of winning. Hashtag Trump. Hashtag Kanye. Hashtag election 2020. Number two. I think that would be a right to stop unelected bureaucrats from Brussels running our countries. They've controlled the shape of my bananas for far too long. <laughs> it's time to make my bananas bigger. Hashtag get Brexit done. Hashtag my bigger bananas. <laughs> okay, this is number three. Don't understand all this mask rubbish. Does Boris think that turning us all into the Avengers is going to cover up for the circus that is the current UK government? Hashtag Boris the Clown. Hashtag Avengers. Hashtag no liking, no wearing. <laughs> Very good. So if you would like to see a, uh, a, a future episode include an instalment of Twitter twits, then do let us know in the, uh, through the usual social media channels. So that brings this very special Raw Reversal episode of Keeping It Current to an end. Thomas, how, how did you find it? I still cannot believe you managed to catch my mum at work. She never, she never, she gets really mad if someone brings her at work. And, you know. Well, it was But uh, anyway, um, Jacob, obviously this potentially could be the last episode of Keeping It Current. And the thing is, I'd, I'd got you a little something just as a thank you for the last two years of being such a great political... Analyst, but um, I did get you a card, but it hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> but oh, I did get you something oh, else. Wow, this is this is so completely unexpected. Just so you to remember, you can keep it at your university. So you've got. Oh wow! A keeping it current fidget magnet. A keep. Wow. Oh, thank you. And a keeping it current keyring. And a keyring as well. Oh. oh, thank you very much, Thomas. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my magnet right on my magnet board, and I'm always losing my key, so so this will, this will keep it safe. And you can remember all the horrible times you've had. Oh, no, thank, thank you very much, Thomas. I, I, I was going to say I would have done it for free, but no, I have done it for free. Um, but, but I've no doubt that we will be back in, in, in the Christmas holidays um, in the next summer holidays, if not. Oh, I might well, be, I might be replaced by by a better political artist from from Salford. Maybe yeah, fellow journalist who knows. Depends what the rules are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you to 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 round this episode down. Uh, thank you very much to a wonderful uh, political analyst, uh, Thomas Ridley. Uh, and obviously for brains of keeping it current. Thank you very much to Mother of Thomas, Catherine Ridley, for so <laughs> kindly sparing ten minutes from her hectic working day to, to phone and finally, finally come on to keeping it current. Uh, thank you very much also to Angelina Shebakova for phoning in and doing the political snog my avoid. And last but not least, thank you to you, the listeners for tuning in and hopefully enjoying it. I, I want to give a special shout out to Mrs. Lawson, who always keeps us keeps us on the straight and narrow, corrects us with any mistakes, and it's yeah. really nice yes. to know that um, she enjoys listening. Yeah, so, and thank you, Jacob, for doing such a good job, I think. Um, I did uh, really enjoy that episode, um, apart from my mother, of course. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Thomas. In which case, 
Yeah, you're, not, you're not trying to turn me to the next promise, Frank and Nathan, are you? Well, well, I think there is some potential there. You know, Ramesh, Ramesh isn't going to keep going forever. Join us in the future, when we won't be keeping it cool, but, but we, we will, will be, be keeping it current. current. Goodbye.